All right, everyone, we're going to get started this evening. We've got two talks uh, tonight with a little break in the middle, so you'll be able to get more dessert after that. They'll keep the dessert and the drinks out there for you, but again, you can get up and, and move around as you will. And sorry with this configuration, you're now having to turn your chair a little bit. Uh, it's probably a good idea if you're here with a husband and wife to stare across each other, at each other. When something comes up, you can just look at each other, if that's how you like to go about that. Um, good to have everybody here. Uh, this is our, our continued Let's Talk About series that we started last year uh, on marriage this time around. <clears throat> our first topic this evening is on gracious communication. That's the title, Gracious Communication. I'll tell you where I got that from in a moment. Uh, but communication uh, in marriage, always a struggle. It's always right at the top of the list for all of us. Our, our natural, uh, dare I say, sinful tendency is actually to get worse over time in our communication, our marriage, uh, than better, to talk less, not more. And if, if that isn't true for you, that's great. But it's generally true according to research. I have research to back that up. Uh, since that's what I do, I read a lot of research. And I'm ashamed to say I found this on Oprah.com. Um, <clears throat> very embarrassed about that. But it's worthy of our attention. So Oprah or her researchers uh, writes this. Uh, a recent British study found that the longer couples are married the less they have to say to each other over the course of an hour-long meal. So that's the key. In other words, the social scientists assigned data to one of my greatest fears, that my husband and I will become the couple in the restaurant eating together, but not saying a word to each other except pass the salt. She continues, how bad does it get? And she says, listen to these numbers, according to the study. Couples who are dating chat for 50 minutes out of that hour, and then presumably breathing, eating, and drinking take up the other 10 minutes. Immediately after marriage, the downward trend kicks in, with the time spent talking uh, dropping to 40 minutes per hour. 20 years into marriage, the average couple talks for 21 minutes of the hour. 30 years in, I'm not going to ask you how many years you have in, 30 years in, conversation takes up 16 minutes. And by 50 years of marital bliss, the average couple converses for three minutes in an hour. That's 150 words or less in an entire meal. And then she ends it this way. I'm guessing, are you still breathing takes up most of the conversation time. <clears throat> so that's a, a, a real study with some sobering things to think about as we start marriage and we progress in marriage, communication is one of those things that we're constantly need to work on. And hopefully we know as believers, we need to work on according to God's ways. And so uh, the theme actually comes from Ephesians 4.29 tonight, which says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a good general principle that we're going to apply to marriage. So in this uh, section, this first half, I'm gonna give you top 10 principles, all right? Here's your top 10 principles of gracious communication in your marriage. Here we go. 
And not from 10 to 1, but from 1 to 10. Number one, communication is a gracious gift from God. It's a gracious gift from God. God is the original and perfect communicator, right? He communicates with us, with his people, through his word, through creation, etc. And we've been given the gift of being able to communicate with one another. He allows us to communicate in order to have actual relationship with other people. That is a gracious gift. God communicating with us, we are to communicate with one another, especially as husband and wife. But this first principle also means by logical consequence that he is the one that sets the rules. He sets the standards, he sets the principles, not us, on how we are to communicate. So of course we need to learn more from God's word instead of go to our natural base sinful instincts on how to communicate with one another. So any instruction, any exercise uh, in communication must conform with biblical principle. So for example, uh, again I look research but I read websites and on one marriage website, this was a pastor who says he's kind of, uh, you know, marriage communication is his thing. And he, he says on there, <clears throat> that he has top, his top three communication principles are these. Always be positive, negativity destroys marriages, uh, and wait a minute, there's only two. Oh, that's the top two, sorry. Always be positive, and negativity destroys marriage. Now, that sounds good, right? But are there times that we can't be always positive when we communicate to our spouse? Is there ever a time that scripture tells us that there's room for gracious correction, <laughs> uh, gracious reproof, speaking the truth in love that sometimes doesn't come across very positive? So while again, there are many ideas you can look at how to communicate with your spouse, we better start with God, right? We better start with his word. We better be thankful that he sets the standards for how we are to communicate better in marriage. <clears throat> So that leads to the second principle. As Christians, we're responsible to pass on grace to our spouse. Gracious God, gracious to us to teach us how to communicate, and we're responsible to pass on the grace of God to our spouses. Now, who doesn't need grace in their marriage right now? Anybody ever said, I don't need grace, I'm good? Anybody? No, we all need grace. We all need grace from our spouse because we're sinners, but sadly, Oftentimes, we're not very good at representing a gracious God to our spouses, maybe more than sometimes. Uh, but if we recognize the amazing and abundant grace for sinners, we sing about it all the time, don't we? We love to sing about God's grace for us. Why are we so stingy with it at times, stingy in our communication with being gracious? <clears throat> Clearly, our own sin gets in the way. It gets in the way of a gracious response. But I'd like to say here, just as an aside, maybe not as a side, maybe as uh, a contrast, sometimes I hear, because of course I get to hear from a lot of spouses, and then I have plenty of stories in my own marriage to illustrate uh, how not to do things. Plenty of stories on my side, not on Marty's side, on my side. Uh, we, uh, we can sometimes give false grace or a false sort of grace, maybe I should say, to our spouses, it might look like this. You know, I'm putting up with a lot of your bad behaviors because I'm a very gracious person. 
you know, that sounds good, but putting up with your spouse <laughs> and their bad behaviors is not really what I think the Lord is talking about with grace because typically, of course, that comes with if they were honest, but I'm deeply angry and bitter at you, by the way, <clears throat> right? But I'm putting up with you because I'm a gracious sort of person. Or we give grace, grace in quotes, by just not talking about things, right? I find it easier not to talk about certain things, so I'm giving you grace. No, that's not grace. There are plenty, these kind of things have to be talked about. Or it's some sort of temporary grace that says, it's gonna run out, so you better be ready. You better be ready uh, because my grace runs out. But we know God's grace is substantially different and it, uh, <clears throat> it's perfect. We are supposed to, though, in our imperfect ways, communicate that. And we should stop always and think about that on a daily basis. How am I communicating grace today to my spouse? And in other places, in other talks, even probably in the last one, I talk a lot uh, uh, to couples and myself about how to be more grace-based in our marriage overall. That our marriages can be very works-based. That we can communicate in our communication a, a, a performance standard to our spouses rather than communicating a, a merciful understanding of their sin and their weakness and their differences. Or we can be constantly frustrated with them instead of, again, truly gracious, truly loving, truly compassionate. Or again, we communicate that I'm gonna love you if certain things change. I will love you and be gracious to you. Again, wrong form of grace. If and when you change. Or again, we carry expectations that are too high, uh, that are not even God's <clears throat> expectations. And we end up thinking our spouse does very little right when it's really not the case. Again, uh, being gracious to your spouse <clears throat> uh, is hard, but we are to communicate that grace. And it doesn't mean, again, that it means you always smile and you let everything go and you're never upset anybody with anything that's going on. No, uh, grace, again, is different than that. So which leads to the third principle of, of communication. This one, again, <clears throat> focused on exactly what Ephesians 4.29 says. Third, third principle is our priority in communication is to build our spouses up. Now, we all know this. <laughs> we all want this. We all talk about, right, that we wanna build people up. Maybe we think of it in terms of our children or other people, we don't wanna tear them down, right? We, we could see and feel and we've been torn down by other people's words and attitudes towards us. But Ephesians 4.29 says very clearly, it says only words that build up should come out of our mouths. Now that's an impossible standard, right, in marriage. But it is our goal. And, and notice, we'll get to this in a minute, but it's contrasted with corrupt talk, which only tears down, right? Which only destroys. So again, an impossibly high standard given to us in scripture. Right now, none of us would say, I only say things that build my spouse up, right? And none of us would say that I always feel built up by everything my spouse says to me. And yet, what a wonderful marriage that would be, right? To walk away from that marriage and saying, I'm always built up up when I talk to my spouse. 
Now again, we, we, we know people like this in our lives, right? We have friendships, we have relationships uh, that are like, man, every time I spend a little time with them, I just come away so encouraged. Unfortunately, in marriage, we can just feel discouraged or condemned instead of built up. Uh, <clears throat> now personally, uh, I would rather adopt an army drill sergeant kind of approach to marital communication. I know you're surprised by that. You know, you know, what, you know what an army drill ser- sergeant, uh, his form of communication, right? Tear somebody down first and then build them up afterward, right? Isn't that a good method? Like I'm going to destroy you first, but then I'll build you up. That's such a better approach with wives, children, I mean anybody. That's not what the Bible says, right? The Bible doesn't give us this ability to destroy a person, but then I'm gonna come back and build you up a little bit. So here's your homework already on point number three. You can write it down, it's being recorded, so you can listen to it afterward too, but here's the homework. I want you to, sometime this week, make a list. If you're married, make a list, your own list, your own personal list, not to share with your spouse, of the ways you can build your spouse up with your words. Just 10 things on there, that's all I want. 10 things of how, you can title it top, how I can build my spouse up with my words. I'm gonna give you a few suggestions if now you're sitting there going, I have no idea what that list would look like. So here's a few suggestions. Well, I'll start with what's not. You can put some not ones on there too. So I'm not gonna do this. Uh, so if we start with the not building up <clears throat> uh, kind of things, Lying to your spouse to make them feel better, that's not building them up. I know it sounds like that. It sounds like kind of the way we do things, right? Just I'm gonna lie to them to make them feel better. No. And it's not even about building their self-esteem and making them feel better. Or I don't want on the list just I'm gonna compliment them a lot. That's nice, but that's not exactly what I think Scripture's getting to about what builds up. It's not just about making someone feel better. Here are the positive suggestions you can add to your list. Speaking words of encouragement on a daily basis. What are those? Can you honestly say and honestly track that I have spoke some words of encouragement to my spouse today? How about this one? Affirm an area your spouse has grown, changed, or matured. We all need to be built up that way. Here, Here are things I've seen in your life as I'm the closest person to you and I know you And sometimes because I'm the closest person to you, I know you so well, I can get too preoccupied with the areas you're still having to work on. But instead, I'm gonna affirm you in the areas that you have really changed and grown and matured. No one ever says, I don't wanna hear those. No, no, thank you. We all go, thank you, I'd like to hear some of those. Uh, Another way to uh, do this is point your spouse to scripture. That always builds up. Point them to some scriptural truth for the day. Uh, help your spouse have a bigger view of God's love for them. May put that on the list. I'm gonna help them today with my words, have a bigger view of God's love for them. Or maybe lastly, just thanking your spouse for little things that you take for granted. Doesn't that build you up? To thank, thank your spouse for what you can kind of take for granted. So that's your list. You're building instead of tearing down. Tearing down is easy. It's like anything else, right? All of us can, can uh, be, grab a hammer and, a, and some implements and go tear down a building together. It would be kind of fun, right? Um, but then hardly any of us could really take the time to build it. 
And we do that in our marriage too. It's real easy uh, to tear down. It's real easy to discourage instead of encourage. So according to scripture, build up, have your words, be building up words. Which leads to number four. He also said there, Paul writes, uh, to avoid all forms of corrupting talk. All forms of corrupting talk must be avoided. <clears throat> now again, we, we need to, since we don't get a long list here from Paul, we need to think about some of those in marriage. What is that? Uh, another synonym here for corrupt is rotten. Any rotten talk. We all know words hurt. Rotten words hurt more because they're more memorable. Right, they kind of last, they kind of stick with us, things that are, are said. So again, corrupt words isn't just uh, you know, being mean or, or, or cursing or things like that as you might think. Those are the obvious ones. And so you might say, I, I haven't cursed at my spouse or I haven't called him a name or something and so I'm, I'm in the clear. But I think it's bigger than that. <clears throat> I think there's all sorts of corrupt sort of communication we need to put away in marriage. And here's again a little bit of a list. I, I think first, um, manipulative sort of words. Words that are meant to manipulate the other person and we know it. We know we're saying things to kind of control, to manipulate. Um, speaking uh, to them like a parent speaks to a child instead of as a lover speaks to a lover, as a spouse should speak to a spouse. That's corrupt, to speak to them like their children. Speaking the truth to your spouse, but in a condemning way, without any love, that's corrupt. That's rotten. No grace. Or one of my personal favorites, just refusing to speak, giving the silent treatment to our spouse. That's like, I'm just not going to talk. That's corrupt communication, you understand? Just, just because something doesn't come out of your mouth, you have to resist that. Or using button-pushing words like always or never, you know that. No one likes hearing those that always, you will never have a good conversation that includes always or never from the spouse. They never agree with you, do they? Do they? And I'm saying never all the time, <laughs> right? If you put always or never and they're like, wait, 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 there was that time back in 1947 that I did do that and so you can't say always, like, sorry about that. It never ends well. It's corrupt. Or just words that, again, demean your spouse, insult your spouse, Again, I, we could go on. <clears throat> but we are, of course, told throughout Scripture what's so hard about marital communication is we already know we're told in Scripture that it's impossible to control our tongues. So come on, Lord, it's impossible to control our tongues, but we're supposed to not speak any corrupt words. We're supposed to always be gracious. Again, all this stuff we should know and we talk about and we preach about and we teach about here at Paratrot all the time. Without Christ, without the Spirit, you're not doing any of this because we need, uh, <clears throat> we need self-control to do all of these things. All right, number five, fifth principle. Gracious communication requires a lot of words, a lot of words. So uh, uh, you heard the beginning, right? Where our words decrease if we're sitting over a meal, that we say less and less and less. And then I recently read another research story. I'm always curious because I've used statistics all through the years, 30 years of doing marriage talks. And I've, I've always you know, used old uh, research. And so I wanted to refresh this about, so I read, read research about how much does the average couple spend in day-to-day -day conversation? And right now they say the average and this was several different researchers, 
four minutes a day, the average couple spends in conversation. Now, this is your chance if you're sitting across from your spouse or next to your spouse to look at them and say, hey, we're above average. I think we average about six or seven minutes a day, so I think we're well above average here. That's scary. That's, if that's the average, that is absolutely scary. So whatever the true amount is in your marriage, <clears throat> we have to understand that in our world today, we have more distractions than ever before. Amen to that? We just do. We think we're trying to minimize that, mitigate against that, but we have more distractions than ever before. And then you might find yourself at different stages that are hard, a stage maybe with lots of young children or our older children that are involved in a lot of activities or whatever stage you're at, even older where it might be just you and the, your spouse. But every one of those stages makes it a different sort of challenge to say, if we're gonna communicate, it takes lots and lots of words to express ourselves well, to communicate well, and to know each other well. It just does. It just does. <clears throat> and so here are a few tips that I hand out regularly in counseling. So this is, this is free to you tonight. You don't even have to come and visit me in my office. So here we go. Here are a few tips. Number one, be creative in creating space in your schedule that you can hang out together and just talk. You gotta be creative about it because we all know that our time eats us up if we're not creative and saying we're going to dedicate these times. And, and I used to talk to spouses about setting 30 minutes away or an hour away, aside. Now it's 10 minutes. Set 10 minutes aside, just 10. Like this is our time that we're gonna catch up, we're gonna visit, we're gonna talk. Be creative of creating spaces like that throughout your day. Here's my other mandatory one. Go to bed at the same time. In 30 years of counseling, 33, now, aging myself, this is, this is becoming more of a problem in the last decade, that more and more spouses don't go to bed at the same time. One spouse goes to bed at seven, other person, you know, because they're worn out in the day, and the other person's a night owl, and they're up till midnight. Go to bed at the same time. <clears throat> There's a lot of reasons for this. Too many to go into right now, but if you're not ending your day together where you have that window of time that you can visit and you can talk. And I know whatever time you go to bed, you might just plop down in the bed and sleep. But that's always an opportunity, isn't it? Couples to talk, to have a window of time, give it a time. Number three is the opposite, get up at the same time. <clears throat> get out of bed at the same time. I know, again, that isn't always possible. I know you have different schedules, but this gives time to talk 10, 15, 20 minutes in the morning, right? Now we have a little rhythm going and you might, you might already have this. You might say, hey, we're great at that. And I see couples are good at that and then there's, there's mission creep and there's kids and there's all this stuff that changes all that. Number four should be obvious, but my goodness, do we need this one. Put away your cell phone when you're talking to your spouse. Put it away. Throw it out the window. Do something with it because nothing is more annoying when trying to talk to your spouse and a text comes up and they feel that's more important than talking to you. Now, no spouse would ever say this person is more important than you, honey, but that's how it feels. Like, do you have to return that text? And of course, we all know the answer to that. Yes, I have to respond to that text because that person's sitting over there waiting for me to respond to that text right now. You know, in the old days, we used to be able to like have dinner together and say, we're not gonna answer the phone. Now we all have our phones at the table with us, right? Maybe some of you don't, which would be great. You're well ahead of everybody else. But just put it away. We adults can be worse than teens. We know teens are terrible about this, maybe because they're watching us. Next one, ask good questions. Be active in conversation. Don't be passive and distracted by your own thoughts or other things. 
Interact. This is the interaction part of a lot of words. It means talk more, ask more questions, like you're actually interested in the conversation instead of just acting like the other person needs to finish because I got something else to do. Like, okay, all right, I got it, I got it. No, like, actually interact, ask good questions. Last one here, I could go on, but uh, of all the people, of all the people, think about all the people in your life, and we're all in different places, whether it's children, family, work people, whoever it is, think of all the people in your life that you need to talk to in a day. You should have the greatest need and desire to talk to your spouse. This should be. That's a way to say it should be your priority, but it's more than making it a priority. It should be, that's your longing. Of all the people I had to talk to today, I couldn't wait to talk to you. That's grace, and that's love, of course. Which leads us to number six. Moving along really quick now. Gracious communication is not always positive. I've already kind of alluded to this, but I want to say it one more time. Gracious communication is not always positive positive. It doesn't mean we're always saying nice things to the other person. Now, there's an episode in the office uh, when Jim and Pam have gone to a marriage counselor. I always tune into those kind of episodes, and they're told to only say nice, positive, affirming things. In one scene, Jim brings Pam a cup of tea. Pam says, oh, thank you. I acknowledge and appreciate that you went out of your way to get me tea. And then Jim responds, thank you. I like being appreciated, but it wasn't out of my way because I felt like having a tea anyway, which prompts Pam to say, well, to speak my truth in love, I switched to coffee in March, but I still (laughs) acknowledge and appreciate the gesture. So it went out of there. So in in a in an effort only to be positive, right, Pam is avoiding saying what she really wants to say. You bum, you haven't even noticed that I've switched to coffee months ago? You sit in the desk right next to me, right? <clears throat> uh, and you couldn't figure that out. So while it's good to be affirming, and that is gracious, we are still responsible to confront, to correct, to rebuke, to speak truth in love, we, our goal can't be to be sugary sweet all the time. And most of you know, if you've been married more than a few months, it's impossible really. Anyway, if you try, it sounds exactly as forced as Jim and Pam. It doesn't work. And so we are to be instruments in Jesus' hand to speak lovingly and truthfully, not just positive, um, <clears throat> but always in a gracious way. Number seven, gracious communication demands active listening. It's the other side of the coin, right? It's not just all about talking and making sure you already got talking homework. You need some listening homework too. Uh, We're often very bad listeners, which uh, goes a long way to our communication problem. And so we have to overcome our barriers very quickly. I put now, this used to be on the bottom of the list, now it's on the top. I already said it, say it again, technological distractions. Whatever screen, whatever phone, whatever thing going on, um, more increasingly we're becoming a non-communicative society because of them, right? At least verbally. So we need to, you know, all of our communications being, become shorter, right? And less words. Pretty soon in marriage, we're just going to be communicating by saying emojis, I think. I don't even think we'll text emojis. We're just saying emoji. Like that's our whole conversation. Number two, self-centeredness. We have to put away our self-centeredness because most of the time, not listening to our spouse, that's all it is. We're just being selfish. Number three, laziness. 
Goes right with less self-centeredness. Remember, laziness is always a heart issue, not just a habit, bad habit, but it's a heart issue that demonstrates and communicates that this relationship is not that important to me. Other things are much more important to me. Fourth is fatigue. That's the real day-to-day life, right? Sometimes we're just tired. We're working, taking care of children, taking care of homes. Who has the energy to talk? And it's, this is kind of one of those principles that's pretty easy. I've continued to tell people in counseling, one of the core principles of listening is you have to actually be awake to listen. Just always remember that. It's just one of those core principles you gotta hold on to. <clears throat> so if you're fatigued, get some rest. If you're fatigued, get focused because you gotta talk. Busyness is always in this list. Put away busyness. We, we tend to give in to busyness. We demonstrate again our priorities. Uh, and sometimes it's just we're angry, we're bitter, we lack forgiveness for our spouse. So that's a whole other set of things that I will refer to in our second half of this time. So three more real briefly before our break. And this one <clears throat> is so important, I think, as I've kind of reevaluated over the years, kind of my top 10 list here of communication. Gracious communication builds intimacy, what I mean by that is sometimes our communication, day-to-day communication becomes very pragmatic. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's more like a business meeting. Um, we have business items to get to, we have schedules to talk about, we have kids' activities, we have future plans to talk about. All those things are important. But gracious communication, if you're wanting to build each other up, if you want to reflect the grace of God to your marriage, from God to your marriage, it should be about the goal of oneness, right? How do we, how do we get closer? How do we be more intimate? <clears throat> or to put it in the opposite way, if all you're having right now is only pragmatic business sort of meeting informational conversations, then it probably reveals an intimacy problem. We're not that close. We're more like people living together, having to run a company, we're like business partners, or we're, we're having to raise kids together, or we're having to do life together, but we're not really close. We're roommates sort of things. And so of course that's understandable when there's unresolved conflict, there's hurts, all of that uh, tempts us to not communicate well. And yet we have to get in our mind like, wait a minute, I've been put in this marriage, I've been made one with this spouse by God, right? not just to live and struggle and be in a marriage, but to become one. So I should be always thinking about how do I get closer? How do I get closer? How do I get closer to my spouse? And it comes through communication. Avoiding intimacy will always mean you'll avoid good communication. It just will, it will reduce it down. Just again, think of all the people in your life that you're not close to and you have the briefest of communication with because you're staying away from them. Number nine, gracious communication requires honesty and openness. Can you have a good relationship without honest communication? That's an easy question, isn't it? And then the second question that's just as easy, can you be honest in communication but not be open? Now openness is as necessary as honesty because I can be honest with you and just not tell you anything and say I didn't lie. Sounds like one of your teenagers, right? I didn't tell you anything, uh, but I didn't lie. You just didn't ask the right question. 
And sometimes we act like that in marriage. I'm not telling you much what's going on in my head and my heart, but you really didn't ask. You didn't really care like you really wanted to know. And so our marriage, again, can lack closeness and honesty. So again, this is where if we had more time, we would talk about things like, is there ever a time where you're not, you can't be honest with your spouse or shouldn't be honest with your spouse? But I hear people say it all the time. There are things I don't want to tell my spouse because they're going to blow up or, they're, or I'm going to hurt their feelings or they're going to be, get too worried or too anxious and so I don't want to tell them, no, it's never good uh, to not be honest and open. <clears throat> and of course, there are plenty of biblical guidelines about how, it, how, we, how we're to stay honest and open like we're supposed to speak truth and love. Like I said, we're supposed to say things that when we have the facts, not just speculate. We have to have the right attitude and those sorts of things. All right, number 10. Find the joy in gracious communication. It is a sad reality that because of our sin and because of our hurt and because of how we've been sinned against, we can find marriage communication to be more of a hardship. There are plenty of people that I talk to and say, you know, just spend an hour this week in a, sitting down in a conversation and they look at me like I, I just give them a death sentence. It's like, what will we talk about? And, or we'll just fight if we just talk. You know, it looks more like, oh, don't put us together. Be like a death cage match, death something. It's supposed to be a joy, right? <clears throat> now, again, much of it is hard. But again, it should be a labor of love to, to fight for that kind of joy. It should feel like the greatest of losses to not be able to talk to our spouse. That we should miss the most. Uh, I genuinely think, and my wife's over here, and I'm not going to look this direction in case she shakes her head no, but I think that... <laughs> I think when people ask, like, well, you, you know, we're like a lot of couples that, that have uh, weeks they got to be apart at things. We never had that early in our marriage when, you know, raising kids and we're with each other all the time. And um, now we're, we're apart for, for ministry reasons and travel and all that. And I was gone all week and she's going to be all, gone all week next week. And we're like, how are you doing all that? We miss the talking the most. You know, it's not just being in the same place. So if, um, if we can talk and keep up, but it, it's like, I got back Friday afternoon, I'm still remembering things from this week. And I'm like, oh, I wanted to tell you about this. Oh, I want, you know, you know when you're with your spouse, your covenant companionship, that's, that should be your joy. Like, I can't wait. And there's still a lot of couples, again, when they're struggling, that uh, that's not their first thought. Sometimes it's avoiding conversations with their spouse. We should long to share our hearts with another person. That's what drew us into marriage in the first place, to share life together. And, and so then we really get into trouble when we actually find more joy in talking to just about anybody else. You know, again, I was with a whole set of friends that I've had for years now in the denomination for doing children's ministry work. And it's fun talking to them, but it doesn't feed my soul. It's like, yes, this was awesome. Uh, I missed my spouse to, to share with her all the things going on. And so joy is something, of course, <clears throat> that is different than being happy or everything going well, right? Joy is something we pursue. Joy is something we pray for. Joy is something we're committed to. 
Uh, and joy, again, always puts the other person, like we long to be in relationship with them. And ultimately, it glorifies God, right? As he <clears throat> uh, gives us that joy and we communicate that to our spouse. All right, we are at break time. 